Welcome to Veterans Connected, where maintenance and reliability expert and military veteran Eric Bevavino connects with fellow veterans in industry during each episode, where they exchange their experiences and discuss the transition from the military to industry and the paths and resources that led them to where they are today. The Veterans Connected podcast is proudly produced by the industry's leading network and learning community, Mobius Connect. Eric, over to you. Hello, everyone. I'm Eric Bevino, host of the Mobius Connect podcast focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. Our aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between the military and civilian worlds, thereby improving the veteran transition journey and ultimately providing hope and a helping hand to any of our brothers and sisters out there struggling to find their way. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For this session, we've chosen to interview one such Navy veteran, Mike Moody, whose fascinating and patriotic story is a must listen for anyone interested in joining us on this mission. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Eric. This is great. Um, I, you know, when you told me about this, I was so excited, uh, you know, the, uh, the whole transition piece and finding your way in the civilian world, I know is just a struggle. And I had my ups and downs and I'm sure we're digging into that here, but um, I was just excited to be able to be a part of this. And hopefully, hopefully if there's even one person out there that can take some nuggets from this, it'll help. Fantastic. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. This is also our first double digit podcast. So you are number 10. That's right. If you haven't been a 10 before in your life, this is the, the day, my friend. Time. <laughs> Well, fantastic. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Mike. And uh, why don't we start with what you're doing today, uh, who you are, you know, what, and then we'll dial it back a few years sure. and see where you started. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am currently uh, a general manager for Rite Aid, uh, running a distribution center uh, in Syracuse, New York. Um, have about 650 or so folks between my employees and uh, contractors that are in and out of the two buildings that are a part of this DC. Um, been with Rite Aid for about eight months uh, and uh, just really digging in and getting after uh, productivity gains and, uh, and getting a, a, you know, a, in a, a growing and improving culture around here. So it's been, been a lot of hard work and exciting and uh, got, a, got a great team here that we're, we're building on. Fantastic. So it's more of an operations focus, right? Is that what you've spent most of your civilian career doing operations type it stuff? Has been, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's so supply chain. I would, I would summarize it though. It's, it's been a mix, um, but most of it has been in supply chain, which, you know, has included uh, manufacturing, a little bit of sourcing in there and then this distribution and fulfillment. Uh, always, always a component though, you know, in the operations piece of the, uh, the, the equipment that you have to have, uh, you know, I know that's a piece of what we get into, but you got to have equipment that's working. And, uh, ironically enough, I'm just hired a, a new facilities manager. That's going to come to us with some great experience and excited about getting, getting, uh, that person on board and, uh, um, helping us raise the bar and, and, uh, and our equipment here. So you always cool, got to have cool. to, I, just like the Navy can't complete the mission without uh, equipment that's reliable and safe and well-maintained, right? Absolutely. 
Well, good. Now, where did you grow up? Are you? I know I met you in, in Pennsylvania, and I think that's you live in Pennsylvania here too. Uh, currently, did you grow up in PA or did you grow up somewhere I, else? I, I grew up in uh, northern Michigan. Uh, the, okay, it's called up north now, but uh, about fifteen miles from Mackinac City, so big uh, summer tourist area. Um, it uh, is a uh, um, town of about six thousand. So, you know, former, grew up around, around lumber way back in the day and had a paper mill when I was growing up there, Procter and Gamble. So smaller mm. town, not, you know, not a lot going on, uh, but great outdoors and the water, um, just beautiful area. So spent a lot of times outdoor on the water, um, swimming and boating and fishing and all that. So through the years. Well, it's probably a, a not too dissimilar from Syracuse. That's where you're up uh, operating up there today. So, yeah, good times. Yes. Is that where yeah. Ted Nugent is from up there too, the nor- northern Michigan? He's yeah. So I uh, it'd be fun to meet him someday. <laughs> you got to be careful on a good day. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He's there's a few uh, you know get off track there, but Bob Seeger used to mm-hmm. hunt. Uh, uh, it, it would be seen in uh, hometown, but a lot of those, uh, seventies rockers, those connections, uh, up that direction. Yeah, I think he's a little, a little bit South of there, but, uh, yeah, yeah. He had the, had the connections. So you grew up in Northern Michigan and, you know, did you have any friends or relatives that were in the military? I mean, how did, uh, how did the early years, you know, end up leading you into the Navy? Yeah. So, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, how that led to it. It wasn't like something I dreamt of or thought, taught, thought about or talked about. Um, uh, I had a grandfather as a World War II vet. He, he talked a little bit about that, knew that. I had another grandfather who, who served as uh, in law enforcement. And so that kind of service mindset was there. Uh, my dad was a teacher, um, lost him early on in, 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 life, in my life. Mm, but that, sorry that to hear that. piece was there. Um, but the, uh, you know, a Navy recruiter, um, you know, the college prospects really weren't there and, and, and not having a whole lot of money for college and a Navy recruiter talked to me and of course, as they do and gave the good pitch, you know, I'd be driving a Corvette in, in a few years and I still don't have that Corvette. Um, <laughs> looking like maybe, Tom Cruise, pre pre Maverick program. Yeah. So yeah, so saying that, but it was the engineering piece, the new power that really attracted me. But at the uh-huh. same time, there was the uh, Top Gun was the summer before my senior year of high school, and mm-hmm. we just just took my son to see the new Top Gun Maverick. But uh, Top Gun was there, and that made the Navy seem. I was part of that crowd that it made the Navy seem really fantastic, you know little Kenny Loggins, uh, highway to the danger zone. So, yeah. 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 Great uh, recruiting video. It, uh, it inspired me as well. I was in my, I think I was a couple of years ahead of you. I might've been between freshman and sophomore year in, in college at, at Penn mm-hmm. state. I had already gotten into NROTC there, but hadn't yet had to choose my path. I'd right. always wanted to be an aviator, but my eyes were were not good enough. And then I did the spatial aptitude test and it wasn't bad enough to keep me out of the diving community, but it was bad enough to keep me out of the aviation. <laughs> so that, that fell apart kind of midstream, but that's, that's funny. We grew up in, in sort of the same generation, got to see Maverick over Memorial day. So that was, yeah. uh, 
That was, that was pretty fun. funny. Yeah, yeah, watching those F F-18s, getting that good uh, and listening to uh, listening to folks folks go. Of course, I I, I didn't make it there. Uh, didn't make it as a, as an aviator because of the eyesight as well. I was a in the backseater community NFO Naval Flight okay. Officer for a little while. I don't know if we ever oh. talked about that. Um, and it was during the drawdown, and it got really extended. Uh, so as a wasn't moving forward. Everybody's in holding pattern, if you will, and not really moving forward in the program very fast. And I just made a decision to go surface warfare and kind of move the commitment and career forward. Had gotten married, and I couldn't be a pilot. And you know, uh, being married as a as a backseater didn't seem like a good. I know that's a hard thing to concept to go to, but didn't seem like a good option. <laughs> No, I, I totally get it, man. I, I totally get it. Look, hey, Goose, Goose didn't fare, fare so well, right? And, Goose uh, died. Flight of the Intruder, who died? The NFO, yeah. the Naval Flight Officer. So it's always the Naval Flight Officer that was buying it in the movies. So I decided I, maybe maybe I should get, do something else. So had a lot of fun then with surface warfare and learned a ton. It was, it was great. Sure. So, so segue from high school and seeing Top Gun between your junior and senior year. And where did you go next? You, you talked to the recruiter, you were fascinated by uh, nuclear power. Um, it sounds like they signed you up for aviation or, or did you go, you went to the Naval Academy, yeah, didn't yeah, you? So or, yeah. So I was a uh, new power machinist mate. Okay. Uh, high school, went to boot camp in Orlando and then new power school back then was down in Orlando as well. That whole community has changed where that base is at now is, can't recognize it, but uh, anyways, new uh, new power machinist mate went through all the training, which all of that between boot camp and all that takes pretty much two years. And I got got through all of that and did well and learned a ton. It was very very hard work, and you know, uh, so new power machinist mates, you know, you're an operator and a maintainer. Uh, most you know for those who, who who don't understand that piece, but you learn how to both operate whatever the works stations that you get assigned to and qualify but you also have to know how to do certain maintenance on the equipment so a lot of the fluid systems uh as a machinist mate uh you know between the steam and the water systems and air systems that was all fell under uh under the new power so that's what you trained on and you actually qualified an operating nuclear power plant and i did that in saratoga or boston spa saratoga springs area of new york and uh, qualified on two workstations and the navy does that so when the operators go to sea and qualify on the seagoing operating plant, they know, you know, they, they know how to do it. They know the process because it's a pretty startling process to, you know, to go through that. It's pretty intense. You know, there's a, there's a zero kind of a zero mistake mentality that, that has to be there in operating new power plants. So great, great lessons there in understanding how to, how to, how to maintain, how to, how to, how to learn, right. How to train and learn is, is different than the book learning, you know, how to learn on your feet and, you know, getting burned by, you know, hot pipes and all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll get your attention, right? When it's high risk, life threatening environment. Uh, if you don't pay attention, you either get irradiated or you die. Or if you're in a submarine, you could, you know, die a very horrible death. Right. So when you say it was very hard work, it's, um, do you mean that it was, you know, hard from a, um, intellectually challenging perspective or, or both, or maybe just the grind and the pace. And you were probably going from book to practical or, or yeah. How did, how did all, that work? Yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, cause it, it was, it was really all of it. The, um, 
um, you know, there are long days and, uh, and, and, you know, the material was, was, was difficult. And then you had to take the head knowledge and apply it to physically going out there doing it and demonstrating that you had that knowledge to your, to the trainers, right. Who were, who were merciless, you know, they, you know, cause they they didn't want to pass anyone off to the fleet from, you know, from, from their perspective, that was not going to, you know, uh, step up to the cause. And it, it was challenging, you know, I, you know, had maybe the book smarts, that was always easy, but transitioning that took me a little while. And I ended up being the second person out of 20 to finish the qualification uh, in my group. Uh, I was S3, S3G uh, was the name of the, uh, the, uh, the plant that I was qualifying in. It was an old, an old submarine um, uh, engine room that they, you know, they, they take off. They, for those who don't know, they take them off submarines and carriers and, and set them up ashore. And then, uh, and then you run them. So anyways, uh, that whole, the whole thing, combining the whole thing, being able to do the intellectual piece, being able to do the physical th- piece, think on your feet, explain it. You had to demonstrate by explaining, talking through what you're doing is uh, fantastic. It, it was, it was, I was working 12, 14 hour days. You'd work seven days of days, have a couple of days off, work seven days of afternoons, have a couple of days off and seven days of night. So every 28 days you work 21 days. Sounds nice having all seven days off, but you slept about five of those. <laughs> it was, had to catch up from, yeah. from lost sleep time. Well, I mean, and, and, and truly, have you ever experienced uh, a learning environment apart from nuclear power that has been intense, as intense or as productive uh, a learning experience? I don't think so. I mean, even even going so it was picked up from there for ROTC uh, at Michigan. Um, go blue, um, though. Uh-oh. Not do that. Had to get that in. There's. <laughs> Go Big Ten. Yeah, <laughs> we can agree on Go Big Ten. Um, uh, but that was always always wanted to go to Michigan as a kid, and and uh, but also got picked up for the Naval Academy and wanting to be you know Top Gun, going you know Mach three with my hair on fire. I thought I had a better chance of being a pilot at the Naval Academy. Um, we saw how that worked out, but I had to choose between the two. And in in Navy fashion, they gave me uh, they told me on Monday, and I had to decide by Friday. You know, some 19 year old kid, you know, a couple years out of high school and had to decide what I wanted to do with my life in, uh, in, in four days. And so ended up going to the Naval Academy from there. And, and even the Naval Academies, you know, and, and other ongoing schools, you know, done master's programs and, all, and, you know, none of the learning environments have been as intense and, uh, or even learning, you know, different roles in, in, the, in, the, in the job world. But it gave me confidence that I could go after and learn anything and, and do anything and, and persevere through that. There's a way. So it was great all around that, uh, the new power um, pipeline, it washes out quite a few people. It's a small percentage that make it all the way through. Uh, congratulations on getting it, getting through that. It's a testament to your character and, uh, and your grit, uh, especially at a, at a young age, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how many people are chosen to go into new power these days and what the washout rate is, but I know certainly in dive school and uh, EOD and, and BUDS, there's, there's a whole prep program now to get people, mm-hmm. get kids that are coming out of, um, you know, and coming out of 
nice homes or bad homes or whatever going going into the navy to to help them not wash out right. to really get them get them in shape or in and i don't know if they're doing that with new power today or not just getting them ready to go but perhaps that's the way uh this generation is is making it through i do want to say one thing you probably would have had more fun at michigan based on my <laughs> experience at penn state in rotc i uh i felt uh both envious and a little bad for the the guys in, from the Naval Academy that I met on on cruise or you know the in between for folks who don't know in between <coughs> excuse me the years you, you get to go out and try out some stuff for a month in, in the real Navy and uh, it's all good though but that's that's quite an accomplishment and I guess the aviation program doesn't well, maybe they do care a little bit on where where your pipeline, yeah, you know, where you come from, but they care more about that you have you know natural twenty yeah. twenty visions for for a long time, <laughs> and can make it through all the tests and the school and everything. The Nami Whammy Naval Aviation Medical Institute, I think it's called. Yeah. Oh yeah, is that yeah, what it's called? You don't pass that, right? Then you know you could you could make it all the way through and you'd be there at flight school and in your first week and still get washed out medically. That was. That was always, that's <laughs> the whammy. The I, was, I was there as a backseater, right? And, and I wasn't worried about my eyesight. I wasn't wearing glasses. They gave me these glasses, which because it was very, very slight, but it was enough to not be there. But there's all these eight the pilots, they're doing eye drops and they're getting, getting themselves ready before their eye test. And I'm reading the newspaper. You know, I don't care. <laughs> I'm a, a backseater, right? We're all sitting in the queue waiting to go in to see the eye doctor. I'm reading, I love it. Back with my feet up reading a newspaper and they're all, getting their eyes ready so they don't get kicked out <laughs> the first week. that's hilarious uh but that's you know that's part of this this show too i mean just getting some of the the real life uh, experiences and, and some of those stories which you know you're not going to hear anywhere else but uh <laughs> but that's great and and i think one of the themes that we're finding throughout whether it's the army the navy the air force and the coast guard i haven't interviewed any Marines yet in, on this podcast. So if there are any Marines out there in the civilian world that want to be on this podcast, please let me know. One of the themes is the training, the intensity, the, the sort of global ability for the service to create training that's meaningful, that's applicable, that's real-time, that cements concepts and, and activities rapidly for a very broad segment of the population is second to none. I, I think that's coming out as really perhaps one of the best adult learning systems ever to be created. I don't know, you know, maybe that's a stretch, but it, it seems that that's a common theme uh, amongst all the folks that I'm, I'm talking to you notwithstanding right so it's uh it's cool okay so new power and then to the naval academy and then where did you go to the flight school pipeline after that and and that's where you kind of got hung up a little bit and changed so yeah so the flight school pipeline and it's it's right when the you know uh uh of course uh you know night you know the end of the cold war and Bill Clinton comes in and there's a, there's a, you know, the BRAC is in full force and the military downsizing is in full force. And here we are, we're the last class that started my class that was like sized for the cold war. 
the largest Naval Academy class. ROTC was the largest, you know, it was like full bore Reagan Cold War buildup. 600 ship Navy, right? Right, right. And so, yeah. but that wasn't needed anymore. And so there's a whole bunch of us going in and they are quietly letting people leave at that time from flight school. You know, if you just want to go and, you know, your commitment's done, we'll sign you off. And wow, those of us who are sticking around, everything was moving very, very slow because the slots were getting smaller to go to. And it just got too slow for just, I don't get where, uh, for me and my 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 new wife and you know what we saw was our life going forward that was just a little too slow of a process so started talking talking to leadership about what options were and ended up you know going surface warfare so the traditional navy driving ships you know haze gray and underway and made it on a frigate uss car ffg 52 just a fantastic experience spending three years on board there as the ordnance officer um, so I had as a weapons officer would be kind of another name of it, but it had all the, all the major weapon systems, uh, on board with the missile launcher, uh, the big gun, um, the fire control systems for both. And, uh, so had, uh, some really, torpedoes. um, did not have, there was, no torpedoes. I did, well, we had torpedoes, but I did not have that piece. Ah, okay. So yeah, we had side launch torpedoes um, because it, the frigate, for those who don't know, is a, is a, is a submarine, uh, uh, anti-submarine warfare primarily platform. It's a picket ship for the car- carrier battle groups at the time. But uh, so we had the we had the torpedoes, and of course the big the big piece was you know a, a helo uh, detachment that had two uh, helo jets or two helicopters and the pilots and maintenance crew on there. So. But having those gun systems and the SeaWiz, of course, which everybody loves watching the videos of online. Oh, the R2D2. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so yeah. friendly like R2D2, right? That's a maintenance nightmare. Something that's sh- a chain, chain fed uh, gun that shoots 6,000 rounds per minute. Likes to jam a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it was a fantastic experience. And that's where I really learned, really, really learned like leading maintainers. So mm. gunner mates and fire controlmen that, that maintained and ran, you know, uh, when we went to weapon stations, they both maintained and then were you know, watch standers for that equipment. And any of that stuff goes down, it's not working and you're not mission ready. The, the whole ship is not mission ready. You don't just like someone down. Yeah. Casualty report, CASREP. It's a it's the, the highest level and it goes to the admiral. And that's the, when the captain gets to say, yeah, my ship can't do the mission. So. I got pretty good at writing those because anytime something would break. <laughs> yeah. Mission compromised. Oh, Moody. Nobody wrote more cash reps than me because, <laughs> you know, a, an aging ship with all these, these control boards on the fire control system were massive and something burns out on that. And you didn't have all of that. This, yeah, I learned about, you know, what, the importance of spare parts, the sport, the importance of preventative maintenance and finding that stuff before it became a problem. It was a, it was a, it was a great learning experience and get being organized, right? Having the materials, having the equipment, you know, the equipment and the training, just, just fantastic experience and a lot of fun. So that was, uh, that was three years out of, out of Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, um, just, just learned a ton there that for sure. Oh, that was good. I was stationed uh, out of Little Creek as well. And the similar time, 
frame, uh, Reagan outgoing, Clinton coming in, decommissioned two ships in the four years that I was on active duty, active duty, two small boys. But uh, yeah, yeah. And I was on the McCloy. That might have been a sister ship to yours. I think it was 50, wasn't okay. it? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah it's something like that. It's, it's pretty close. So it, yeah, it was probably within the same year. Yeah, it was uh it was a midship, it was summer cruise between um yeah, summer cruise, right? The type of cruise you really right, want right. to go yeah, on yeah. with all the all the lights and, <laughs> and all you can eat and drinks and stuff like that, right? Uh, but it was six weeks between uh junior and senior year, and I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, pick up the boat at Roosevelt Roads in Puerto Rico, mm. go to St. Thomas, go to Bermuda do some NATO operations with foreign navies, Canada and whatnot, hit St. John's, yeah. Newfoundland, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Boston on the 4th of July, and then back to Newport. It was custom made Fantastic. for a uh, midshipman cruise, but uh, yeah, it might've been a sister ship from, from the one yeah. that you were on. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. So what happened after Norfolk? Did you uh, go into the reserves there? Did you go to another ship or? So pre- I left active duty. Yeah, they had okay. a kind of, you know, I had that, that, uh, I don't know what the time is, you know, the time of not really moving forward in flight school or waiting for flight school and kind of moving forward in flight school. So I, where I should have been through two, you know, two C tours or my two first tours as a service worker officer, I was only through one. And so they had other, you know, opportunities for me, but they weren't, it weren't, uh, great. And, uh, my wife and I, we'd made a decision to move on. So I left active duty. I did not go in the reserves right away. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a piece in just understanding that transition. Well, you know what, you know, what that transition means. It was, it was a point where the, you know, late nineties, so the, the economy was doing great. People were getting out and making more money than they were, or at least they thought than they were in the military. Cause you got to really put the whole package together and understand all those benefits you have on active duty and what that means. So, um, so it was exciting times that everybody was, you know, getting out and making more money and whatnot. And, uh, I decided to go after, I thought it was going to be, you know, the, the next, um, the next, uh, uh, financial robber baron. So I, I, I went into, uh, financial sales with Edward Jones, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, but you know, wanted, wanted to, all joking aside, you know, wanted to, to, to do something different in, in, in a, you know, what I thought would be challenging and, and a good fit, you know, it felt like as sure. a people person, as the saying goes, you know, I can talk to people and uh, convince them to do things, uh, convince them to buy products, whatever it might be. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and it was, it was a shocking experience going from a team atmosphere of the military where you have like people around you, you're mission oriented, you you're, you're going hard in the operational aspect of being at sea. You know, uh, we won two battle E's for those who, who don't know that piece uh, uh, as a, as a old beat up frigate going against the newer ships that were in our squadron. Uh, we really uh, took it to them and, and, and did well competing against our squadron peers and, uh, and won two battle E's in a row. And so we went hard. So I had a really great team concept and then going into being a, uh, a uh, a rep for Edward Jones and uh, you're all alone. It's a single, it's a single rep office. You have a, a, a front office person who manages the phones and helps with your appointments and that, and you're, then you're out, 
meeting people and trying to sign people up for accounts and manage their money for them. And uh, it's, it was a shocking experience. I did well enough with that, was making money at that. And, you know, the, the rule is you got to get, you know, five years into it to really do well. And I was miserable. It was just not, not, it's too much of a change and it wasn't. wasn't yeah. good. So a uh, question about the, the transition, <clears throat> what sort of preparation did you have? I mean, I know I went through the tap classes. I don't remember them that well. I did. I do remember getting connected with a junior military officer recruiting firm, which right. sort of took us to uh, an embassy suites. And it was a round robin of uh, interviews and lots of people, corporations were looking for former military officers because of the discipline, because of the self-starting, whatever, to be yes. salespeople. It sounds like you entered the financial sales realm or business management realm too from that. I, I made it more than two years at my first job, but it wasn't much longer. It was about four-ish and it wasn't solo for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I started in in an organization that was selling industrial lubricants. And oddly enough, I've sort of bounced around in that career for the remainder of, of my career year to date. But, um, but yeah, so how was that, that transition process? Did you, you probably went to the same, same thing in yeah, Norfolk that I went to. the TAPS through. program, yeah. it had the, the, uh, you know, the JMO uh, recruiters that, you know, multiple ones and did, you know, went to probably th at least three, of those kind of embassy suites, uh, kind of round robin. And that was, um, you know, and, and they, they put you in front of a range and, and, of, of people. And, and I had actually multiple officers coming, offers coming out of that. I mean, my very first one, I, I kind of crashed and burned. It was, you know, I don't think I got a single offer or follow-up interview out of it. Maybe one follow-up interview, but no, no job offers came out of that first one. But kind of figured things out when, you know, went back to the drawing board on how you, you know, how you interview and how you present your military skills to civilians, even though they were, they knew what they were getting into, you still had to demonstrate, you know, to the, to the interviewers that you could be a fit, you know, mm. culture thing and that you, what you did in the military could, could translate to what they wanted in the roles that they're hiring for. And so, you know, I, learned kind of, you know, cracked that nut and learned how to do that and, and got multiple officers over the next two rounds, but none of them really were what I wanted or fit with what we were trying to do. And actually it was just got referred from a, a friend from the civilian world to Edward Jones. Um, oh, okay. So didn't even use that path and, and, and went down there. So I, I, you know, I don't regret, you know, I learned a ton, learned a ton about financial management and uh, the markets, um, to, you know, not a bad thing to know, right? Packet, yeah. Yeah. Pocket. And, and I mean, I, I don't want to say that Edward, Edward Jones did not, I don't want to disparage him. Edward Jones, uh, you know, has consistently been ranked as one of the best employers. Um, and they, at the time were much smaller, but they've grown into the largest uh, financial, as far as number of reps out there, like distinctly larger is their model is, um, uh, is, is more broad. You know, they go after smaller investors and not just looking to go to the, you know, the big, big in investors. They really service a lot of, a lot of people. So um, they do things right. They train right. And then they have support that's, you know, remote. And then you go to regional kind of things, but you're, 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 it was, you know, that one 
one man band thing was was tough. It was, it was very stark tr- contrast to the uh, you know military uh, team atmosphere. Well, and it, it goes to uh, the surroundings that that you're in in the military, right? One team, one goal. You know, everybody's fighting for the same mission battle awards best in the squadron that type of thing and then getting out i mean it may be a better fit for some of these uh, special forces operators that get jumped you know sure. dropped just dropped in the jungle somewhere or uh you know into the mountains and they they kind of go and they do their thing that might be more of a fit for for somebody like that not that yeah i mean you you did it for a couple of years not that i couldn't do it, but you said it was shocking, right? So it was it was a dramatic departure from where you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was you know that you know in in, in advice to those who are making that transition, really understanding uh, you know what the new role is and, and how that compares, and you know where understanding yourself and knowing yourself. I know we'll talk a little bit more about that maybe later, but. That was that was a piece where maybe I did didn't do the right um, the right um, inventory of my 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 own uh, uh, skill sets and wants and desires and what makes me tick you know really understanding what makes made me tick and, and you know in the operations world that I that I've lived most of my civilian career and uh, I didn't really understand that well at, at the time. Well, and it's, it's hard, right? I mean, it, it's hard. I, I'm just reflecting on those times now that you bring it up because, well, I think it, was, it <laughs> everything was harder when it was back in the old days, right? You know, we had to walk, <laughs> walk uphill to school both ways in the snow, oh, yeah. but I mean, all the, all the tools, I mean, I don't remember doing any research on any of the companies that I was interviewing with. You know, I would, if, if you went through a similar experience that I did, you got a brief that was either the night before that the day of here are the five people that you're interviewing with and they're five uh, copy sheet of sheets of paper in a folder of like about this company and blah, blah, blah. I mean, today, if you know, you're going to an interview, man, you can research it you could customize you know your resume not to fake it but just to you know use the right terminology that connects the dots between where you were and and uh you know yeah, different times yeah yeah uh, the uh, al gore's interweb at the time was much slower <laughs> you were part of that i, I love it i love it yeah. maybe that's a new power uh decoder <laughs> ring that uh, you got when you left but uh yeah interesting well good stuff mike yeah so let me see where we're at here i'm just looking at the uh the list of of questions that we typically run through i think um we've talked about transitioning from the service i mean what do you miss from that um what jobs are you attracted to you talked a little bit about that and how did your military experience help help with your your civilian career what do you miss and how did your your experience help when you it seems like you you found the groove in operations supply chain yeah. that type of thing yeah, yeah I, you know I, I i in there i did teach a little bit um, okay and coached which was it got back to um, more of the team thing and um you know ultimately leadership yeah yeah and, and you know in saying that you know understanding that, how much leadership's involved in, in being a good teacher. Um, it's, it's massively important, you know, for well-run classrooms that, 
uh, help inspire kids and, and, and take them from from a it, it's the same take them from a place where you know their knowledge and their inspiration is is lower in that subject matter and helping them connect to it and learn it and grow with it is is a similar kind of thing in leading right you got to move people from a spot where they're performing at a at level X and you got to go X plus 10%, right? And um, finding a way to get them there. It's just, it's, it's very, you know, very similar skill set. And, and I would say it's leadership. And that, that was, that was, that was fantastic. And I had the, the legacy of my mom uh, was a teacher uh, and dad. And uh, there's a little bit of, you know, just loving sports uh, as a sure. mural hero at, uh, at Navy, you know, made championships and, uh, um, tried a bunch of different sports and had fun with that and just always, you know, always, always loved. And even in my, uh, advancing years, try to get out and play some basketball yet now and again. So and was I, that your sport of choice then basketball? It was yeah. my, you know, I did a number, but basketball was probably had the most success at, if you could call it that. But, uh, yeah. So I go out there and play with some older guys now and again, hurt myself. So, um, but it was fun to coach and lead, you know, lead, uh, lead a team and lead young people forward, uh, and and uh, and being able to come together as a team and play the game better, so that was I did that for a few years before finally making my way into supply chain. And so the leadership piece, um, you know, is, is has been massively important to each of these uh, each of the career steps. And just you know, it's a never ending journey, right? Leadership is the way uh, uh, I view it. You know, you, you can't stop learning. You're going to learn from the people that you work for and the people that work for you and that, that your peers, you know, you got to constantly have your, your eyes open to finding new ways to approach that and, and uh, appreciate, you know, differences in culture that, uh, that you have in, in different businesses um, as well as just the differences in the individuals, you know, that differentiated leadership concept, you know, maybe it wasn't talked about when we were young JOs, uh, you know, but that's, that's important because everybody's at a different spot and appreciating where they're at and how to get them move forward is, is, uh, is important to be a success because as leaders, you know, we're, we don't succeed if, if our team doesn't succeed, you know, I don't move boxes throughout this uh, distribution center. I don't, I don't put them onto trucks and get them to the stores so they can, the company can make sales. A lot of other people do that and I got to help them be be better and better at that. And I don't, I don't succeed unless they are getting better and better. So those leadership skills have been very important to my, uh, to my growth and development, uh, and, you know, different promotions through the years. Well, and, and this is a, this is a resonating thing theme here to well, actually the, the teaching has, has become, I think you're the third person that I've, I've talked to all Navy veterans that happens <laughs> to be, but, uh, that have segued after active duty into some sort of teacher. Was it math or, or science? I did both that... math and science uh, okay. at a middle school level and, and one, one high school uh, level. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, um, I enjoyed both. Yeah. But yeah, the math and science, which of course schools are dying for. Right. And a lot of, you know, a lot of folks with some sort of technical background in the military, you know, can, can do that. There, I know a lot of, I never did it in the military, but being instructors, we really you learn how to, to teach. Uh, I think there's a lot of great instructor programs that exist out there for knowing folks that have gone through that, that 
and it is satisfying. And if you, you stick with teaching long enough, you can make a good living at it. Uh, um, you know, just knowing, you know, that's the other thing, that self-inventory, knowing what makes you tick uh, and where you want to be and your goals for you and your family. Right? We had other goals for the family and that was kind of the transition from, from the military that, you know, involved, uh, uh, you know, having to take on or wanting to take on more challenging roles that were more financially rewarding, but also more, for me, more stimulating, you know, intellectually stimulating and challenging. So there's multiple reasons that I left teaching uh, and made that transition to manufacturing initially, but it's into supply chain and operations. Oh yeah. And, and a couple of things you said, and you said it really beautifully, uh, you know, we don't win as leaders if, if the team doesn't win. I mean, you're not moving the boxes around uh, the, the warehouse and the distribution center. I mean, you got 600 something people that, are working in your in your domain right and as a young junior officer you had to stand on the deck place with people that were you know 5 10 15 20 years older than you and and sort of deliver the news good or bad the plan of the day what's happening and all that type of stuff so i i think anybody coming out of the the military has a a, a certain leadership training and the other consistent theme that you mentioned is lifelong learning. I mean, that the learning process that you went through at Nuke Power School and then through the Naval Academy and onboard ship, I think has has some sort of quick reward mechanism like rapid Im- improvement or promotion at at younger level, certainly on the officer level, but uh, mm-hmm. on the enlisted level uh, as well, uh, working your way towards self actualization as a leader so fantastic so so okay so you transitioned you've gone from the navy to financial services to teaching and coaching and then in operations and leadership was really important to you so uh what else what else i i know you gave me some other <laughs> when we spoke the other night uh you've dabbled in a, a couple interesting other options especially during covid so yeah. uh other sort of interesting experience about that here is this is would that bring your uh <laughs> your your listenership down here i don't know hey, uh, maybe it could be a teaser for uh getting people to, to click in and listen well i you think know, i think there there are a tremendous amount of veterans veterans that that are either inspired to be entrepreneurs or um are, are led in that direction. Another thing you said earlier too, was the network piece that your, your family network that kind of got you, got you into, I don't know if it was the first job or the second job, but um, massively important for veterans to lean on uh, coming out of the service. But yeah, I mean, wide open, dude. I mean, I think, I think people would be interested in that. I I thought it was interesting, but uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm being coy. Uh, no, I, I, so I just I brush over, you know, I, I did go after a three year inactive, inactive time period, I did go in the reserves. Um, and that's where Derek, you and I met. Uh, yep. We were at the same command and did, you know, some, some challenging and fun exercises together as well as uh, the regular weekend drills. But uh, after retiring uh, from the reserves in 2015, um, I, I had a, I have a brother-in-law who, um, 
was encouraged me for multiple years in a row to come work with him. And, and uh, he was, he was getting into the both medical cannabis as well as the uh, hemp CBD industry. And I, I said, that's, fa that's fascinating. It's interesting. Happy for you and brushed him off for multiple years. And uh, then it got to a point where he really needed some operational help and was standing up a processing facility for hemp. It was like a real deal that the first um, hemp CBD processing facility in Pennsylvania. Uh, and he needed help getting it first legal hemp. one. Yeah. yeah. So that actually legal, had, you know, had, had modern machinery. <laughs> right. so, hey, this might yeah. be a connection in my network, but uh, state representative is a Marine Corps vet, wounded vet, uh, was, uh, is, was, is a farmer and uh, may have to connect you with him, but was, you know, sure. advocating for Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, and, and trying to get it set up there. And uh, we, um, you know, I worked to help get the facility and getting the equipment together and installed and putting together the lab. We lost our chief science officer to cancer in the middle of all this. And oh. so we had to hire a, 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 a doctor of chemistry and uh, get consulting to, to, to really get our process together. And we, we put together the first CBD isolate processing facility in Pennsylvania. And, uh, um, you know, we're part of that Part of that craze that was, you know, that is a little bit of wild, wild west and, uh, you know, very entrepreneurial kind of thing, very out there on the edge, different than anything I'd done before, you know, away from big companies, you know, having been with GE and Toys R Us and some other smaller companies, but companies, you know, that actually had good revenue and paid paychecks into a company that is it going to make <laughs> benefits? It? And, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, it was very exciting and challenging, and uh, it, the market ended up getting oversaturated, oversaturated uh, rapidly with producers and growers because we grew hemp as well, which is a whole interesting thing when you smell like cannabis <laughs> all the time. It's in your skin because you're working with the plant. Uh, I never knew that's what I was getting into, but all of our employees would drive around with our hemp our licenses, our permits, so that people understood what we were working with, that if the police pulled you over, you weren't driving around with its, wow. its hitting cousin. You were actually working with the, the, the sober cousin of, of hemp. And, <laughs> so, I didn't even know there was such a thing. So, you know, yeah, look, look what we're learning today. Low, you know, very, very low in THC, right? So it's the sober cousin. It helps with your aches and pains and your anxiety, right? Not doesn't get you high. So um, but yeah, so that, that business ended up, you know, the, I, I don't know how many, but very few of the processors made it through that unscathed without going through bankruptcy or something of the sort. And, and we, we had to close doors because, um, there was like a 90% reduction in the market value of the end product. And that put us upside down on, on our uh, margins. Um, it just was not able to go forward and, that transitioned into uh, an end business, though, of, of trying to, to um, uh, make energy shots with CBD or uh, nighttime relaxed shots with CBD. And we had some, some okay beginnings on the, on the sales, but it, it was slow and moving. And uh, um, the customers weren't ready yet. The market wasn't ready for ingestibles. The FDA was not clear on, like, can you sell? 
CBD that goes into your body? Well, they weren't, they weren't saying no, they weren't saying yes. And didn't help went into, probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. Went into a regular energy shot company and a shameless plug out there, camo energy. It's still out there. Um, for those in the world of, of Casey's general stores, they're out there in Casey's all throughout the Midwest and quite a few places uh, all throughout West Virginia, which is where the company's out of and, and through the Southeast, it's growing slowly, but uh, help set up the supply chain on that. Uh, but uh, it's not big enough for something to support, you know, multiple, multiple families at this point, it's, it's more of a sales, sales and slow growth and, uh, business now. And so I, I made the transition to, uh, to, to working with uh, Rite Aid and, and getting back to the DC world that I'd been in before. Um, so that it's still out there. So camo energy. Uh, that's all, all good. Look, and, and you survived and you didn't go into yeah. deep depression or, uh, you know, no. the bottle or anything like that. You picked <laughs> yourself up and, and here you are. So yeah, thanks for sharing, Mike. I mean, that's, I think it's really a pretty, I mean, it's all of this is very interesting, but uh, it's courageous, right. To do stuff like that. And uh, it's another thing that veterans bring to the table. So let me ask you this. Uh, what advice would you give to any service member planning to transition to the civilian world that you wish you had when you made that move? Yeah. That, so understanding your strengths and weaknesses you know, really doing a good, I, I used the term before, a self-inventory and, and finding the right way to really understand what makes you tick, what do you want to do, and, and where you want to go. And really start with that. Recruiters are going to come to you, especially right now, you know, for folks who are transitioning right now, or even going from first job to second job out of the military, they, they do a lot of the square peg in a round hole. They have a job that they want to fill because they're going to get a commission when they fill that. And they might try to, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. I believe in you. you yeah, you'll succeed. And it might not be really what matches with what makes you tick. And so really understand your strengths and weaknesses. The other side of it though, is know that there's no perfect job out there, right? Everything's going to have pros and cons. And, uh, you know, having that good self inventory to saying, Hey, how much of these pros and cons how well does it align? Am I willing to accept the cons that come with this? Are the, are the pros strong enough that they really make sense to me? Because you want to be inspired to a degree. And I'm not, you know, I'm not the, you know, find your meaning, you know, that it's, you know, it's, it's something bigger, bigger than that. You, you know, it's, it's work, right? You're, you're gonna, there's going to be a grind to it. There's going to be people you don't like at work. There's going to be challenges just like in the military. You know, it's don't don't build it up that it's all all those many problems that you're complaining about or maybe you don't like about the military are going to go away. Uh, There's going to be a little bit different. And, you know, you're not going to have the same even if even if you go into something that is more team oriented, it's not going to be the same. So understanding that piece of it is being ready for that. You're going to lose some of that team support. So find ways to engage with, um, you know, other, other vets and, and family and, and whatnot, because you're not going to have that same team aspect and uh, be prepared for that. Uh, I would say would be the other piece, be prepared for the, the fact that it's not going to be the same way. There's going to be a lot of people who are really out for themselves, but there's also going to be folks who are going to be good, good teammates at your, whatever business or job you end up going to. Yeah. Seek them out, right. Seek them out. And, uh, 
learn about people. So did you find that the um, you came back into the Navy, into the reserves uh, because you were missing that piece of it or you just you wanted absolutely. to? OK, yeah, yeah okay. Sorry, sorry, I cut you off there. But yeah, absolutely. That yeah. was it. the team piece and, and uh, just uh, being able to get back and be involved and serve. You know, there was um, uh, just, a, you know, the, the start piece of the Edward Jones. And then it really made me want to try to do something more. And I got back in in 01, you know, pre 9-11. It was like March. I started talking to uh, folks in the reserves, you know, the full time support folks and finding the recruiters that at the time finding a spot to go into uh, where I could drill. and. Uh, you know, that was all about that. It was all about finding that team and getting back and getting involved. I, I wasn't really certain whether I wanted to make a career of it at that point, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get back and do something. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice and, and uh, understanding that you're going to miss some of that and, and certainly romanticize the, the most of the good times in, in the Navy and, and forget about yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the bad times and, and all that type of stuff. But uh, being able to transition that, that service component to something that, that makes you, that makes you happy, right. Is in a culture that, that uh, where you can grow, where you're supported and all that type of stuff. So that's, that's great advice. Thanks, Mike. And then on the flip side of that, I'm sure you've hired a bunch of folks and what sort of advice would you give to corporate hiring managers about veterans that they need to know to get the best fits uh, for the positions that they're seeking to fill? Yeah, that's, um, that's a fantastic question. I, thought a long time about this, uh, on, on, you know, what, what, what's the best thing? Cause I I've been going up to, uh, or, or my team and we've, we've been trying to recruit from, uh, Fort drum, which is an hour and a half or so away from where we're at. That's the okay. uh, base that's nearby and trying to get some army vets and haven't, haven't quite any success yet. We've, we've talked to a few folks and they, they haven't matched and, you know, knowing what I know and trying to talk with my HR team, you know, and my recruiters and, on, on how they find good fits for what we, what we want, you know, and we're operations here and, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science in the DC, you know, there's, you get into some technical things, but it's not like it's a, a very, very difficult thing to train to. So um, I think appreciating both the leadership aspect, because there's a leadership need that exists at all the levels, you know, in, in the military, no matter what you, you pretty, you talked about it you pretty early on, almost everyone gets thrown into it, you know, unless you rarely avoid the, the point where you're responsible for someone else and need to lead someone else. Um, and uh, appreciating that leadership that's going to be there that might not show in a resume, um, but know that it's there. And um, the other piece is that folks who know how to be dedicated to, to a purpose, um, that we all hunger for when we're hiring, you know, especially today, I, I think about this, there's, you know, the, what, what do they call it? The great, uh, uh, great resignation. resignation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like folks are just like, I'm not really committed to this job and I feel free to go and just change and people are moving in a hurry and we're all so hungry to get someone new. We're like, yeah, I know you're only there two months or six months, but 
what would be a red flag before they're taking folks, but you're going to, you're going to get somebody that knows how to be dedicated and dedicated to the purpose um, that you have there. Uh, I think better chances, you know, not every transitioning veteran is a hero and is coming out with a medal of honor and, you know, is going to, there's, there's varying degrees, but in general, if we can generalize here, and I, I think we can, that we all get that understanding of being dedicated to a, a higher purpose and, you know, that team aspect and, and don't underestimate that. Uh, I, you know, I, I think about successful folks that I've hired and, and have as, uh, on my team. And I'd rather have that dedicated person versus somebody that's, you know, 10 degrees higher on the IQ scale and, and uh, is going to leave me or, or, or not give me a, a full measure and, and not help lead his team forward or her team forward. Right. I'd, I'd rather have that dedicated person. So don't underestimate that piece. Don't. And I know we use a lot of these systems anymore that sort through resumes. Um, sure. Yeah. Try to find a way to get past that and, and really give consideration to, uh, to, to folks and probably the final thing for those is try to find somewhere, some other reach out to military so you can translate and understand because you might not see it in the resume, um, but where you can translate and understand what that means. Yeah. What kind of team did that, did they lead if they're in that kind of role? Because not everybody builds good resumes and um, we got to find ways to get past that to, to, to get, to get good people in. Uh, on the teams. And I think that resonates more than ever today. We're all hungry to find folks to, to, to round out our teams. You know, I've got several open positions now. Right aid, Liverpool, New York. <laughs> <You play>. <laughs> so if people want to contact you after this, uh, I guess they can find yeah. you on LinkedIn yeah, exactly. or uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn. No, that's, Michael that's Moody. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great, Mike. And, and I, yeah, well, and and it's it's all good here, right? So leadership is, is so sorely needed in all aspects of our society. I mean, it's most especially in, in organizations that are that are doing good and they're they're trying to do the right thing and move the ball forward and help everybody out. I mean, Rite Aid is no different. I mean, you're getting medicine to people over the counter drugs, making sure. I mean, COVID's probably been really a very interesting time to, to be in, in this position. I mean, we all have pieces and components of making it all work. And um, I think folks with broader, broader leadership experience and understanding uh, can help not only get veterans to, you know, stay out of the homelessness or, or tending towards suicide, but just help everybody in America get back to together again on a common for common goal and platform. But um, anyway, this has been fantastic, Mike. You're a true American. I always enjoy talking to you and, you know, it's been too long. If I get up to Syracuse or Pittsburgh, I'll, I'll certainly give you a, a ring. So maybe we can share a beard, tell some old stories about uh, the first time I held hands with a man was uh, of course in the Navy uh, in, in, in Italy and happened to be a Moroccan officer. And uh, when we got up to, yes. to go to go to dinner, uh, agriturismo, which was just oh, a cultural yes. thing, yes. you know, he was showing me that he felt like we were friends, but when he grabbed my hand and I didn't, didn't expect it, that was, uh, 
that was a learning. And of course you guys, you know, gave me a lot of, a lot of guff after that, but um, it was all good. It was all good. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That was great. I I talk about that agriturismo uh, and I I give people that know they're traveling to to Sicily. I've given them that, uh, given them where it's at. And and that was fantastic food. Oh my gosh. No Uh, better food, no shortage of it either. (laughs) Very small portions of each of the courses. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You got to take your time, pace yourself. So Mike, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time, buddy, to help us on this. And uh, like, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn, Mike Moody. Any other socials or any any other thing? Is that that's? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really big on other otherwise. But you know, as far as this goes, you know, I, I love uh, just put it out there. Anybody wants, uh, you know, reach out to me just for advice, uh, coaching, counsel, counseling, whatever. Just pick my brain. Uh, I'm out there. Um, I love helping other vets uh, find you know find their way. You know, I've stumbled at times and. Uh, uh, grace of God, been able to find my way forward and, um, you know, just, and, and a lot of good people, you know, I, I want to help because a lot of, a lot of folks have helped me along the way. I don't want to underestimate that piece of it. It would help give me advice. Uh, and Eric, I, I appreciate this, what you're doing here. Uh, this is fantastic. Um, I think it's, it's going to help a lot of people. You know, I joke about it, even if it helps one, but even if it does help one, you know, whatever I have to say that helps somebody make a better decision and help them transition. Um, I got a brother that's uh, retired from the army as, as well. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had his uh, own challenges and successes. And, you know, I've, I've learned from that. And I know that, um, you know, he's experienced things that are, you know, let's face it, Navy reserves. We didn't have the same challenges as, uh, as, as army and Marine Corps did who were every, every three to five years, we're going back in the sandbox and on some Ford operating base and, and, and seen some tough times so anything i could do to help out another vet uh, folks who are, who are having a tough time just uh, i'm out there reach out uh, linkedin is open there and uh, I'll, I'll do what i can oh, that that sounds good mike thank you I, I, again and if hey if your brother wants to talk to anybody on uh about any post-traumatic stress or anything don't forget about 220.org um very very uh, solid organization i i did uh, I'm doing volunteer peer coaching for that, and they're having remarkable results at, yes. at helping yeah. people out with that. So yeah, so just since you mentioned it, I figured uh, yeah, you know, yeah, he's he's actually doing similar things, and I, I want to uh, where he's helping other. He through years he found a um, for the PTSD, and uh, he found, and I'm not going to remember the name of it right now, but a, an organization. Um, of, of vets helping vets who had been through it. And, uh, and it just did, it was fantastic for him. It really helped him get to a, to a better spot. And now he's, you know, doing the same in, in helping, helping other vets. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah, just, there's, there's so many resources out there just in, and there's so many vets who want to help our, our brothers and sisters out. That, you know, don't, don't hesitate. You are not alone. Sounds good, my friend. It's a good way to wrap it up. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. And thank you to Mobius for providing this platform to help both transitioning vets as well as those looking to hire them in the field of maintenance and reliability. Have a great night, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Veterans Connected. We will see you back for another episode very soon. In between, we hope to see you in the Veterans Connected community group where you can meet Eric and fellow podcast guests 
and share with other industry veterans at mobiusconnect.com. And we hope to see you there.